all the rest. And I was very proud of the choir Sunday morning. They sounded great. And uh, God's just really been good to us. Well, how many of you are ready to get in the Word? Yeah. Amen? Well, I got to tell you, I've had strong feedback from last Wednesday night. We talked about the encroachment of apostasy on the Western Church. And then Sunday, I preached on the second coming of Christ, and people were crying in the audience. And I said, was it that bad? No, there was a, a strong move. And I've had people tell me, I can't get off my mind what I heard Sunday. And, you know, we're just preaching the Scriptures, and that's why we're here. We're here to reach, teach, preach. And so we're going to teach the Word of God tonight, and I'm going to continue this uh, little mini-series out of Colossians. We're calling it the Colossal Christ of Colossians. And so let's stand together and let me take you through the Word of God and we're getting our Christology together. What is your Christology? It's what you believe about Jesus. What do you believe about Jesus? Well, we're going to see tonight that he's got the whole world in his hands. And if you did not catch last Wednesdays, we've made some extra copies out there and they're stacked up on the connection point uh, shelf. I would encourage you to get it because we need to understand what's coming against the church, what's coming against our faith, and how to answer it. And so, let's look at what the Word says tonight. In the beginning, this is John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now listen to what it's telling us, the Word being Jesus. Listen to what John, the fisherman, years after Jesus got a hold of him, listen to what he's telling us about Jesus. He existed in the beginning of, uh, with God. That is the beginning of creation. When God created the world, Jesus was already there. God created everything through him. And nothing, everybody say nothing, no thing, nothing was created except through him. Powerful statements about Jesus. He's not a first century hippie walking around in sandals giving people the peace sign saying cool things. All right? We're about to have our minds expanded on who he was. Father, thank you for your word tonight. And we pray that you'll bless it. Lord, help us to understand who it is we worship, who it is that has saved us, who it is who has stepped into our life, who it is we will answer to. We thank you for it. Now, will you breathe a prayer, church? Say, Lord, speak to my heart tonight. In Jesus' name, I receive your word. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you need to listen to this. It's going to bless you. And TJ, can we turn the spot down just a little bit? I'm going to get a suntan up here. That thing is bright. There we go. All right. Now, let's, uh, let's look at what this verse, one of the most profound Christological passages in the whole Bible it, it never ceases to amaze me who this came out of. It came out of John, along with, you know, Simon Peter and Andrew and the others. And these men were called off of the, the seashore as fishermen. And I want you to look at what Jesus made of them. What we just read is so profound that it, it's just a mind blower. It's a mind stretcher. This is profound revelation on who Jesus was. And if you in our church, this church, Turning Point, I want you to know if anybody knows who Jesus is, I want you to understand it. Because the more you know about him, the more your faith is going to grow towards him. All right? 
Now, he says in the beginning was the what? In the beginning was the Word. Now, the word there is the Greek word logos. That's the Greek word. And it means spoken word. The word that is spoken. In the beginning was the spoken word. Jesus was and is to us the spoken word of God. I think it's interesting when John brings Jesus down into one word by which he wants to explain him, one phrase, one thing. He says, to me, he was the word. He was the word of God to us. Now, God creates and speaks to you and me through the word. Right now, as I share the Word, God is speaking to you through the Word. It is through the Word that our faith is built. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. But if you put Jesus in a blender and hit liquefy and pour Him out, what was He? He was the Word of God to you and to me. So God creates and speaks to, to you and me through the Word. Just as we express our thoughts in words, so God reveals His will by the Word. And when the Word is clothed in flesh as the teacher of men, then we recognize it as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was God wrapped in flesh. So, you know, away with this stuff. Let's be done with it. Let's get it out of our heads that He was just one of many great religious leaders. That He was just a good man who had good things to say who cared about people. He does not leave us that option. Jesus did not leave us that option. You can't relegate him to just being a regular man or a good man or a great man or a great leader or a great teacher. He was way more than that. If you're going to go into the Bible and get your understanding of Jesus, then here's what you're going to come away with. God wrapped himself in flesh, was born of a virgin. Jesus was the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. He was God in human form. That's what the Bible says about him. Matthew Henry writes these words, the commentator. He says, The plainest reason why the Son of God is called the Word seems to be that as our words explain our minds to others, so was the Son of God sent in order to reveal God the Father's mind to the world. Remember what Jesus said? He said, to Philip, he said, Philip, you've asked me to show you the Father. If you've been with me this long and you don't get it yet, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Huh, hey, either a lunatic said that, or the Son of God, begotten of God, conceived of the Holy Spirit, said that. The Apostle John clearly asserts his existence in the beginning, Jesus' existence. His coexistence with the Father. He coexisted with the Father always. The Word was with God. When God said, let there be light, the Word, Jesus, was already there. All things, here's a mind blower, are you ready? All things were made by Him. And without Him, John says, was not anything made that was made. From the highest angel to the meanest worm, he made it all. 
Look out there, look at the birds, look at the mammals, look at people, look at the trees, look at the vegetation, look at the universe, the stars, the galaxies, this stupendous, unfathomable creation. Look at it and realize it began in the mind of Christ. The light of reason, as well as the life of sense, is derived from him and depends upon him. So keeping that in mind, let's recap last week. Are you ready? Let's recap. I just want to bring that little bit about the Logos out to establish who John's really dealing with here. What did we see last week? We saw that there is a very real apostasy taking place in much of the Western church. What is being forsaken by the Western church in so many denominations? You need to know this. A lot of you, some of you are here because of this. You couldn't stay any longer in what you were hearing. Here's what they're forsaking. The inerrancy of Scripture, that means the Scripture is without error in its original form. The virgin birth, don't teach that much anymore. Other cornerstones of Christian belief, like the second coming of Jesus Christ, that there is sin, that there is heaven, that there is a hell. These things are all being walked away from by many parts of what used to be the bastion of truth. mainline churches and i read something about it in the paper at least once a week and it just freaks me out it just blows my i can't believe it it's like well if you don't believe these things anymore why are you occupying a pulpit why go go sell amway go do something else but don't get up and pretend to be a preacher of god if you deny the basic tenets of christianity Then we started looking at the colossal Christ of Colossians. Jesus asked his disciples two questions that really mattered to him. He said, hey, guys, who do the crowd say that I am? What, what's the scuttlebutt out there? What's the crowd saying about me? Who do they believe that I am? Well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're some other prophet. And then he wheeled around to his own who had followed him for a while. He said, here's what I really want to know. What do you, my disciples, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, moved on by the Holy Spirit, blurted it out. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus smiled big. And he said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Praise the Lord. I can just hear Jesus saying, Hallelujah, finally one of these boys gets it. Of course, about... An hour later, Peter blew it, stuck his foot in his mouth, and got rebuked, and Jesus called him the devil. So beware, lest you think you stand, or you think you stand, lest you fall. So we saw last time that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is a precise reproduction. He's not somebody that had a likeness to God. He's a precise reproduction. He that has seen me, Jesus said, I've seen the Father. Why? Because I'm a precise reproduction. Watch the way I love people. Watch the way I heal the sick. Watch the way I hate evil. Watch the way I cast out devils. Watch the way that I have control over nature and over the elements. Watch me and, and Philip and disciples of mine as you see the way I am. No, you are watching a precise reproduction of the Father. Precise reproduction. 
That's powerful stuff. Now next, we saw that Jesus had no beginning. When the beginning began, Jesus was there. And Jesus did not begin. When Jesus was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, that is not his beginning. That was a transition into human form. But it was not his beginning. Because in the beginning, he had already been. It does not mean he had a beginning like you and me. We were born, we had a beginning, even though right now not anybody in this room has an end. Because you have an eternal soul. You have an eternal spirit. And that's what goes on forever after you die. If you've ever been there when somebody passed away, the first thing that comes out of the loved one's mouths when they stand over that person that has gone on is, they're not there anymore. And that's so true because they're not. Their eternal soul has gone on. You are eternal tonight, but you had a beginning. You did not exist until you were conceived. Not Jesus. Jesus has always been because he was with God and he was God. Isn't that what John said? I know it's uh, hard to wrap your mind around that, but that's just exactly what the apostle tells us. That's what the Bible testifies about Jesus. The Bible says Jesus was God wrapped in flesh, therefore he had no beginning. Let's read it again, can we? I want you all to preach this to me. This is a great verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In a confrontation with the Pharisees, Jesus was not out to make himself popular. He was talking to them and he said to the Pharisees, Your father Abraham... rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming he saw it and was glad well the pharisees heard this and said say what and here's what they answered they said you aren't even 50 years old how can you say that you have seen abraham and jesus came back and said i tell you the truth before abraham was even born i am see if you're eternal you never were you always am. Back 2,000 years ago, you am. Right now, you am. Three million years from now, you am. If you're eternal, you're not in time. So you always am. And, and when they heard that, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was supernatural, and he just cruised through the midst of them and walked away because it wasn't his time yet. He was hidden from them, and he left the temple. He said that in the temple. Now next, the colossal colossal Christ of Colossians is, and I want you to catch this. Here's what it tells us. The holder together of the entire created order. He's the holder together of the entire created order. Listen to what it says in Colossians 1. By him, read it with me, by him all things consist. Now that word consist is from a Greek word meaning to cohere put simply what it means is he's the glue that holds together the created order jesus christ is the reason the universe is a cosmos and not a chaos if jesus took his hand off of the created order the universe right now in five seconds the atomic structure would fly apart now i know that's a mouthful But can we get our understanding of Jesus from the Word and not our ability to reason our way into it? 
The Bible says, by him all things cohere. The creation is held together by his word. Listen to the book of Hebrews. It says, he is the sole expression of the glory of God. And he is the perfect imprint and very image of God's nature. And what does it say then? Upholding, carrying, bearing up, and maintaining, and guiding, and propelling the universe by his mighty, what? Word of power. That's telling us the universe is being propelled by his word, guided by his word, glued together by his word, maintained by his word. Can you say with me, we serve a mighty Christ. Now I'm going kind of slow here tonight because I don't want you to choke on this. I know this needs thought and we've had a long day and this is requiring some thinking. But this is powerful stuff, y'all. Now you know why we need to understand this? Because next time we raise our hands to worship the Lord, our understanding of who we're worshiping is so much bigger. So much broader, so much deeper and wider. Let me give you, for instance, the principle of gravity, which keeps all things fixed and in their place and regulates the motions of things moving, is, is an expression of his mind. Where did gravity come from? It was an expression of the mind of Christ. In eternities long gone by, it first occurred in the mind of Christ, then it was created. God said it, the Son amended it, the Holy Ghost released it. Peter explains this further by reaching back to the beginning, Genesis. Look at what he says. He's talking about the scoffers that are coming in the last days, and they're here. And he says, here's what they willfully overlook. Yet they forget this fact, that the heavens came into existence long ago, how everybody, by the Word of God. And who was the Word? Jesus Christ. All right, and the earth also, which was formed out of water and by means of water, through which the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. That's the flood. It says, by the same Word that created everything, the present heavens and earth have been stored up, reserved for fire, being kept, laid up as one might keep a treasure, the world and all the elements are being laid up and kept until the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly people. Now let me just tell you what that's telling you and me. It's telling us that Jesus is maintaining the earth and the universe. It is reserved for the day that God takes his saints to glory and releases his wrath upon the world. And when he does, the Bible says in Peter, if we had read on, it says the elements, all the elements, are going to melt with a fervent heat. The whole earth is going to be burned up. Now, it's not going to be done away with. It's going to be renovated. But everything in it, all the wicked works, all the evil, all of the dirt and filth that are here as a result of sin, it's all going to be burned up. The earth, the elements are going to melt. And then God will renovate, renovate the earth. And the new Jerusalem that you read about in Revelations is going to be lowered down onto a renovated earth. 
Now, why do I not get upset about global warming? Why do I not get upset about global warming? A, it's a complete hoax and scam. But aside from that, because I don't know if you've noticed or not, but we've had one winter. I mean, if we're in global warming, God help us if we ever get out of global warming because it's cold enough now. There's no global warming. You know what the Bible promises? God said, summer, fall, winter, spring, all the seasons are going to continue just as they always have. And he told, he told Noah, I will never judge the earth again with a flood. What is happening? This world that we're in is being held together. It is, it is brought together, held together, and maintained by the word of the Christ we worship. And when the time comes for God to finally release judgment on the earth, his word will release it. I'm not worried about meteorites wiping the earth out. I'm not worried about the earth burning up. I'm not worried about the earth freezing over. I know that God has the world reserved in store for that great day. He's in charge of the world. So when you understand the Bible, it takes a lot of this global warming stuff and all this panic that's on our culture off of you. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world. He's got the whole world in his hands. Whole world in his hands. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand of praise. <laughs> oh, this is powerful stuff. I know I can't sing, but I and, and I die a thousand deaths when that goes on the radio. I say, oh, Kathy, turn that down. He really does have the whole world in his hands. Now, next, here's the mind blower. Not only does he hold it all together, and is it being reserved by his word for what God has in store for it, but Jesus was the creator of all things. And I want us to get a hold of this. Nothing was created apart from him. That's what it says. John says all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Not anything. No thing. Now, by, the word by there, by him all things were created. It's a preposition. And in the Greek, it means the channel of an act. It's the word dia, and it means through. It's like a pipeline. It's the channel of an act. Jesus was the channel through which God made all things. All of creation flowed through him. Next time you look at the birds... Next time you look at the trees, the beautiful creation all around, the stars at night, think about it. It all flowed through Jesus. His will, his thoughts, his creativity, all were involved. He worked in cooperation with the Father. And I want to make a distinction here tonight. He was not a tool, as an artist would use a brush. He was the eye through which the artist saw. Jesus was involved not as a subordinate instrument. He was not lesser than, but as a coordinate, cooperating, fully involved 
agent when all that we see and will never see were created. Without him was not anything made that was made from the highest angel to the smallest worm. From the giant mountains to the tiniest atomic structure, God the Father did nothing without him in that work. Listen to what Hebrews says again in Hebrews 1 verse 2. And now in these final days, the last days after the resurrection of Christ, he has spoken to us through his Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. And what does it say next? And through the Son, he created the universe. <laughs> you know, I don't know about you, but I read those. I told Kathy today, I, you know, I was reading this stuff, finishing up for tonight. I said, this just makes you have to get up and kind of pace. Just get up and walk around for a minute. Because all the philosophers that ever philosophized, let me tell you something, they never, ever arrived at something as profound as this. Our Jesus, the one that hung on the cross, you know, the creator. The creator was hung on the cross. The creator allowed evil, wicked people to slap his face, to whip his back, to spit in his eyes, to drive nails through his hands. He made that wood that steel those men now when you look at this this testimony of who the Lord really was his involvement in creation states emphatically that our universe was created ex nihilo what does that mean? something out of nothing ex nihilo it was created ex nihilo nothing and then there was something it did not evolve there was not some ancient creature that crawled out of some primordial soup sea that eventually sprouted legs and said I need some eyes and evolution in a few trillion years gave it eyes and it grew up and started walking on two instead of four and became a man police You know, they talk about the, the unbelievers, the atheists and, and uh, uh, agnostics. They say, man, if you're a believer in God, you've got to take a real leap of faith. I do. I've got to take a leap of faith because this is so obviously by design. How can you look at, let, forget everything else. Just forget all the rest of the created order. Let's talk about the eyeball. Just the eyeball. You're going to tell me that time and chance that can't think, can't conceive, can't plot, can't scheme, can't create. Time and chance looked at something that crawled out of an ancient sea and said, it needs eyes. And where was the cornea without the pupil? Oh, there's a cornea but no pupil. And then after another few trillion years, a pupil was given to fit in the cornea. And then eye liquid in the nerves and going to the brain. Come on, folks. (laughs) 
You know, Newton, the great scientist, they estimate his IQ at about 190. Sir Isaac Newton had an atheist friend, and one day he said, well, he doesn't listen to a thing I say. So what he did is he built this little model solar system. It had Pluto and Jupiter and Mercury and Mars and all that and the sun and Earth, and, and it turned on a crank. So that if you turn this, all the planets spun around in an orbit and his friend was coming over and he left it on his desk and walked out of the room. His friend came in. He sees this. He says, wow, what's this? And he looks at it and finds the crank. And he goes, all these planets revolving around. Newton came in and he said, who made this? Newton said, nobody. (laughs) Well, where'd you get it? You know, I think it just appeared on the desk. He said, somebody had to have made this. Look at this. And you know where I'm going with this. And you know where Newton was going with this. He said, come on. You insist that a simple little model had to be made by somebody. And you look at this and you say it was an evolutionary accident that time and chance carved out everything you see. Leap of faith. And where's all the mistakes, you know, walking around? Where are they? I mean, if, you, if it took trillions of years to bring all this about, where's all the mistakes? You know, the half pupils, the quarter pupils, the corneas that didn't work. Where's, all, where's the, you know, six legs and eight legs? Where's all the mistakes? No, you look at what's here, it's by design. I'm sorry I get a little carried away because it makes me mad. They're putting up their billboards now. Don't believe in God, you're not alone. You know what David said? The fool has said in his heart there is no God. Because it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look around and go, design, intentional. I'm sorry, man. Are y'all, y'all okay? I'm okay. I'm okay if you're okay. <laughs> oh, boy. That's how my dad got saved. My dad came in from the backyard one day and said, Jeff, just out there looking at the trees, the squirrel in the tree and the breeze, and he said, it had to be made, had to be created. I've been witnessing to him for 20 years when he said that. The Bible is very clear that God gave creation to testify undeniably about the existence of a creator designer. Now, he's the head of the church. Let's look at further what he is. Next week, we're going to look at what he's done for us as believers. But now, the head of the church. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the head. Now, I want to close with this. This is very strong stuff. He is the same to the church as the head is to the body. That is to say, the prince and governor of it. And the very beginning of true life. I can talk because my head's telling me to. I can look at you because my brain is allowing me to. If I'm headless, I'm gone. The church has a head. And the head is Christ. He's not just the creator. He's the head of his church. Now, as the head, he knows exactly what is taking place within the church. 
down to intimate details. Now, I've been a pastor. I'm going to get you away from reading it. I'm going back so that I have your attention. Not that I didn't, but I want to be sure you, you hear this. As a pastor of 25 years, I've seen the Lord knows what's going on in the church. Sometimes we think he doesn't know. We think he's just oblivious to it. We're, we're not afraid of the fact. We don't have the fear of the Lord that he knows what's going on inside that which calls itself his church. But as the head of the church, it, you know, I could take a needle and stick the very tip of your little toe and your head's going to know about it. Right? And your head is going to move to grab whatever is sticking it. The Lord knows the smallest detail of what's going on in the church. This church, any church, any individual in the church, or any group that calls itself the church, he knows. I want you to look at how much he knows. In John's Revelation, we find Jesus speaking to the church in Ephesus, and here's what he says to the church in Ephesus. I know all the things you do. <laughs> Golly. That means there's a divine scanner. There's a divine x-ray machine on the church. <laughs> so I know all the things you do. That will straighten anybody up. Then he says, I have seen. Now, not only do I know, I see. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I've seen it. And what does he say now? I know. I know and I see. I know you don't tolerate evil people. So he knew exactly how they dealt with evil. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. And you have discovered they are liars. He knew everything they had done. Everything that had confronted them and everything that had attacked them. He knew it. But then what he says, but I've got something against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at the beginning. How do you know that? Because he's, he's got his finger on the pulse. He knows exactly how much we love him. Now, this isn't to make you afraid. It's encouraging as well because we're not in this alone. He said, my finger's on the pulse, and I know how you love each other, and I know how much you love me, and what i got against you is you don't love me or each other like you used to, and that's called the first love. He's the final arbiter over which, whether a church is allowed to continue as a church. That's powerful. He says, if you don't repent from having lost your first love, I'm going to come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Now, what does that mean, the lampstand? To remove the lampstand would mean the church would cease to exist. It means that when a church is healthy and growing and people are being saved and the Lord is being loved and it's not a bunch of religion, but it's real, then there is a lampstand in that church. It's the favor of God. It's the blessing of God. It is the, it, it is the prosperity of God. It is the presence of God. It's the fruitfulness of God. He puts his seal on that. It's the lampstand. Man, I'll tell you. I've walked into a lot of churches. I can walk into a church and I can tell pretty quick if there's a lampstand in that place or not. You walk into some places, it's God's frozen chosen. There's no life. There's no salvation. There's no love. They sing three hymns and sit down. There's a sermonette to Christianettes, three points and a poem, and they go home and live like the devil the rest of the week. There's no lampstand there. 
You can walk into a church where there's a lampstand, and immediately you feel the presence. And you see the activity of the Holy Spirit happening. You see people saved. You see people growing spiritually. Uh, you see Christ glorified. You see Him worshiped in the beauty of holiness. There is a lampstand of life there. Now He says, if you're not careful and you fall out of love with me, and notice, first you fall out of love with Him, then you fall out of love with each other. One follows the other. You can't love me if you're not loving Him. He says, you're going to digress until... There's no more life there. And usually they don't even know it. When the head of the church comes and takes the lampstand out. Which scares me. Because then you just got religion without life. Going through the motions, ain't nothing there. And you know what? This warning was chillingly fulfilled in the case of Ephesus. Not one vestige of that church remains, and the city itself is nothing but smoldering ruins. You ever seen a lampstand get taken out? I have. This warning is addressed to every church which has lost its first love. Now, folks, I can, I can feel you. You're going, oh, my gosh. I hope I love the Lord enough. And, and you're kind of getting tight on me. I can feel it. You're holding the side of your listen we're fine we're okay this is just we need to hear the word and say lord just help us to love you you know don't get uptight about it just say, i just want to love the lord i want to grow where you where you need to boogie is when they leave the word leave talking about jesus leave the blood leave the cross there's where you need to look for the nearest exit door and don't look back <clears throat> But this warning is addressed to every church which has lost its first love. And I'll tell you, first it scares me, but I, I'll tell you, our preacher friends listening by radio, a lot of Christians listening by radio, we need to pray that in these dark days our lampstand shines bright. Unless that church repents and does its first works, its lampstand will finally be removed from its place. Jesus is the head of the church. Without his approval, the body cannot function. Without the, his smile, the church cannot flourish and prosper. Without his help, the church can do nothing. And I had one more point, but I think y'all have had enough. <laughs> so I want you to stand with me. I want you to stand with me. We'll, we'll finish it up next time. So, Pastor, you know, are lampstands removed? Oh, yes. I fear for some of the denominations that used to have bright lampstands. As we shared, and I say this truthfully, with a grieved heart, who are walking away from the Word and walking away from their first love. That they're going to wake up one day and realize they're alone. Stand with Christ, He'll stand with you. Be true to the truth, and the truth will be true to you. Leave Him. And the lampstand, the favor, will lift off of you. I'm not saying you'll be lost and go to hell. I'm saying you'll wake up and go. Where is the joy? Where is the peace? Where is that excitement I used to have? Where's that zeal? 
You can get it back. Oh, Lord, forgive me. And come back. And he'll give it back to you. Amen? Father, we thank you for your blessing tonight. Thank you, Lord, for who Jesus is, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Thank you, Lord, for such a mighty Savior, the Creator, the one who holds the universe together by his word, the head of the church. Help us, Lord, to glorify you in this dark hour and keep the lamp burning bright. Now, will you breathe a prayer tonight and say, Lord, help me to shine brightly in this dark hour to love you and love my brethren. In Jesus' name, amen. Give him a hand of praise tonight, can you? Hallelujah. Hallelujah.